Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. So we're going to jump into part three of our series on rediscovering discipleship. And just a quick review, the, uh, the first week, the first component to discipleship. Now, just a, a hint as we review they all start with C. What was the first one? What was the first part of discipleship that we looked at? What was it? What comes first? What? The call. Thank you. All right. So the call to be a disciple. And, and Jesus, of course, called his, his 12 disciples, called, uh, called many other disciples as well. But last week, we looked at another component and another word that started with C. What was it? Who remembers? Close. Commitment. Someone had it over here. Cost. We looked at the cost of discipleship. We talked about how, yes, salvation is free. You know, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. Thankfully, Jesus paid the price for us. But being a follower of Jesus has a cost along with it. There are things that we have to give up in our life. There are things that we have to do that are uncomfortable as followers of Jesus. And I put forth a challenge at the end of last week to, as a disciple of Jesus, to do something uncomfortable for him. And, and maybe, maybe you did something this past week that was a little uncomfortable. And, and you just thought, hey, I'm going to take a step as a follower of Jesus when I would be more um, more prone to just kind of not say something or not do something or not act in this and to step outside of your comfort zone. And, and I actually had an opportunity and it just, the opportunity truly came to me this past week um, to meet with someone over coffee um, who believed, uh, has a totally different belief system than me. And there were parts of that conversation that, um, there were things I wanted to say, you know, that maybe were just right. But in that moment, what ended up being right and actually more uncomfortable for me was to just hear that person and hear what, what is it that they're believing and why they're believing it and, and having little opportunities here and there to, to share the truth. But, but that, was, that was kind of uncomfortable. First of all, somewhat of an uncomfortable conversation. But kind of uncomfortable to not just want to, you know, just, I'm going to lay it all out before you. It, it, it was a little uncomfortable for me. Today, we're looking at the third component, the third C, and that is the command, the command of discipleship. And you might be wondering, well, what command? Because the Bible is full of commandments, isn't it? There are countless commands that Jesus gave to his disciples. So how could we say one command or the command. What basis do I have to even say that? Well, there's one command that sticks out, that stands out over all the rest of the commandments. In fact, it's a command that really is the basis for every commandment that we receive from God and that we hear from God and the, every commandment that Jesus gives us. What is that command, what is that one single greatest command? It really is summed up in one four-letter word. Who, who, who's got it? Love. Yes. Thank you, Greg. Nice and loud. 
one four-letter word. Really, it's, it's, it's summed up in the word love. Love with two parts, love for God and love for others. And we're going to be looking primarily at John 13. But before we go to John 13, I want to look at other words of Jesus. We're going to look quickly at Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So grab a Bible. We've got uh, some of the words out here up on the screen as well. But I really encourage you to take out a Bible and, and open it and follow along in it. And you, um, if you've got your own Bible, make some marks in it or take notes as we go. Uh, really encourage just opening the words of Scripture. But Matthew 22, 36 through 40, and just setting the stage a little bit, a teacher of the law, it says, that came to Jesus, somewhat skeptical, of who Jesus was and what he was teaching. And, and he had a big question for Jesus. And, and we come to um, verse 36 here. And actually, it's up on the screen. So I'm going to ask that you would read along with me. Starting at verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so in summary, what, what Jesus is saying in this answer is that all of the laws, all of the commandments can be summed up into this one command, this one command that has two parts, loving God and loving others, okay? And so, so that is, is primarily the basis, and, and Jesus says himself and affirms that, that this is the greatest commandment. It, it all comes down to love. Now, I also want us to look briefly at 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you are probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, and when, when do we hear 1 Corinthians 13 read the most at weddings, right? Because it's all about love, isn't it? And I have to say that when I hear these words at a wedding, it all sounds so nice, doesn't it? You know, love is patient. Love is kind. Turn there if you would, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. And it all sounds so nice, doesn't it? I heard one time, I'm going to have you do this, a challenge. Substitute your name for the word love as we go through this, okay? Chad is patient and kind. Chad does not envy or boast. Chad is not arrogant or rude. Chad does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Christy knows that. Chad does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Chad rejoices with the truth. Always. Always. Chad bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures 
all things. What if you put your name in there? It's funny because there's some things that like, you know, generally I think people see me as a patient person. Maybe not my family all the time. And, you know, you might put someone else's name and think, yeah, they, you know, they, they fit the bill of all the, but truly when you put your own name in there, <laughs> wow, it's convicting, isn't it? And we, we realize how much we fall short of the definition of love, don't we? And so we've, we, many of us have heard these words, the love chapter in the Bible, this emphasis on this command to love, that love is supreme. And then after this beautiful description of love, which is beautiful but yet convicting at the same time, isn't it? Look at what it says in verse 13. And I have this up on the screen too, I think, somewhere. Verse 13, I want you to read this one with me. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Now, think about that. Faith and hope and love, okay? Those are like the primary virtues of the Christian faith, aren't they? Faith, hope, and love. And, and in some ways, it's like, well, how can, how can love be greater? How can love be more important? I mean, think about it. Faith, what is faith? Faith is, is crucial. Our, it's our belief in God. It's our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we understand that faith is a gift from God. God is the one who enables us to believe. And then faith, of course, gives way to hope. Hebrews 11, I love what it describes here. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, or some versions say, being certain of what we do not see. And that's really what hope is, right? Hope is not just something like, I hope, I hope I'll get to heaven. Christian hope is being certain that we are going to heaven because of our faith in Jesus Christ, and so we see that faith and hope work together and, and, and I mean, how, so, so then how is, how is love greater? The greatest of these is love. What does that even mean? What's the big deal with love? You ever wondered that? What's the big deal with love? Why is love the greatest? Well, think about it for a second. Faith and hope. Think about those two. What, what does faith and hope uh, what, what relationship primarily does faith and hope have to do with? What do you think? Salvation. Salvation? Okay. So what relationship does faith and hope have to do with? Relationship with who? God, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, between us and God, right? It's what we believe. It's our salvation, is our, our, our salvation is wrapped up in our faith. It's because of our faith. And our hope is certain because of that faith and, and what we believe and what Jesus has guaranteed for us. And here's why love is greater. Because what, what relationships does love have to do with? All, all of our relationships, right? Love has to do with our relationship with God, but love also has to do with our relationship with one another. Maybe some of you have heard it described before that we have a vertical relationship in the Christian faith, 
our relationship between us and God, but then we have the horizontal relationship among others, among ourselves and others. And love goes both directions, vertical in our relationship with God, but horizontal in our relationship with one another. And we're going to now turn to John 13. Turn there, if you would, John 13, 34 through 35. We're going to look at the final command that Jesus gave to his disciples. And, and this is as Jesus is, is gathered with his disciples for the Last Supper, the last meal that he would share with them before he would uh, go to the cross, before he would suffer and die on our behalf. And think about it for a second, that Jesus could have said anything at this moment. He could have left them with, with whatever, he word, whatever words he wanted. But this is, this is what he said. John 13, 34 through 35. Let's read this together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the command of Jesus right here. A new command I give you. And, and why would it be a new command? Didn't, Jesus, didn't God say to, to love others a long time ago? I mean, since the creation of the world, that's been God's intent for us, Right? But Jesus realized that we've had such a skewed view of what love really is. And Jesus was going to show primarily what he did on the cross was the definition of love. And he puts forth this challenge to his disciples that I have a new command for you to love one another. But it's a new and different kind of love that he is about to show and display. As I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. That's the love that he's calling us to. We're going to look at what that, that means and, and what that type of love is. But, but first, I wanted to just, just share a brief story. There's a, an, an author I've, I've followed a lot lately. His name is Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And, um, and he, he is taking this, some of this teaching into churches and doing conferences and, and seminars. And one of, one of the um, core parts of his teaching is on this topic of love, love for God and love for one another, and how as we grow as disciples of Jesus, our love becomes a mark of maturity, a mark of spiritual maturity, and, and, and we, we continue to fall short of God's standard of love for, for us and him and, and our love for one another. Um, but as he has taken this, this, church, uh, this teaching into different churches, he said he's met a lot of resistance and there was one pastor that called him, and he said, Pete, you know, I, I'm just not really good at the relational thing. But, you know, we do have a number of recurring conflicts in our church. Do you think that if we just talked over the phone that you could just give me the bottom line in about an hour or so, and I could just be on my way, and we could figure this whole thing out? <laughs> and this is what he said. He says, I chuckled reminding him that equipping people to love like Jesus required 
It requires the same level of energy that he gave to equipping people to love God. You catch that? Sometimes we stop at the <laughs> loving God. Yeah, let's, let's figure that out. Receiving that love from him. But what about loving one another? It's, it's a command of Jesus. It's non-negotiable. And if we're going to grow in love for God and for one another, we might as well figure it out, right? And it starts with, I believe, a right understanding of this love that Jesus is calling us to in John 13. Because I believe we're very confused in our culture and in our world as to what love really is. I mean, when do we talk about love the most is around what? This time of year, right? What do we just celebrate Valentine's Day. You know, it's, it's centered around, you know, just kind of the hearts and, and the, the red and the pink and, you know, um, going out on the Valentine's date. And I mean, those are all wonderful things, but, but that's, that's what we tend to think of when we think of love. But, but what is Jesus really talking about when he says, gives this command. And so I want to unpack this command of Jesus. And as we do, we'll see three things. Number one, love is based upon fact. Love is based upon fact as opposed to feelings. Now, there are feelings involved in love. Don't get me wrong. But the love Jesus is talking about here is based upon fact. And the, most of the love in our culture is, is a subjective sort of love, isn't it? It's feeling-based and our love can kind of waver. It can go back and forth depending on maybe how we are being served or how we like somebody or our preferences can define our, our measure of love toward one another. But the love that we receive from God is, is based upon the fact of what Jesus has done for us. And one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible actually is in, at the beginning of John 13. I don't have this up on the screen, but if you would just go back with me to the beginning of John 13. Again, Jesus has just gathered with his disciples for the Last Supper, the final meal that he would share with them before he died. And it says this, John 13, verse 1. It says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world. And this is my favorite part here. It says, he loved them to the very end. Think about this. That Jesus, in the next 24 hours, was going to be flogged. He was going to be beaten, unrecognizable. He was going to carry his own cross up the hill called Calvary. And to, to hang on that cross for hours just and die an excruciating death. And here he is with his disciples gathered to show love to them and, and to show their importance to him and how, how much they were on his heart and, and they were ultimately the ones that drove him to the cross. Verse 13, or sorry, chapter 13 continues, verse 2 it says, during supper, listen to this, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Listen to these words now. It says that he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. If you were about to suffer what Jesus suffered, who would you be thinking about? I know I'd be, I'd be freaked out. I'd be thinking only of myself. In agony, we know Jesus was in agony later in the garden, but before he went to the garden, look what he did. And, I, and I, note that part that even when Judas Iscariot was already prompted to betray Jesus, and Jesus knew that. What did he do? He washed his feet. True love, as displayed here, is is unconditional. It is what we know as agape love. Agape love in in, in the Greek. And I wish in in our language we had a, a different word for that love. We have one word for love that can mean a lot of different things. But agape love is, is that unconditional love that God has for us. And this is what's unique about it, is that it is a one-direction love. It is a one-direction love from God to us that is based upon the fact, that this fact from Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we're going to take this command that Jesus gives us, if we're going to take it seriously, we have to remember that God's love for us as redeemed and forgiven sinners doesn't come and go. It's not based upon feelings. God's love for us does not waver. It does not go back and forth. And I believe that that is the number one problem that we have in our love toward one another. It is that we so easily lose sight of of God's unwavering love and that God's love is not dependent upon our performance. It is not dependent on how well we love him at any given moment. It is not dependent on how well we are loving, showing love to others. God's love never ends. It's unconditional. And I believe that's our number one problem in our love for each other is that we lose sight of the fact of God's love, that his love will never be separated from us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Amy Carmichael, famous missionary to India in in the late 1800s and into the 1900s, she wrote a short booklet, and that booklet is, is simple. It's called If. If. And in that booklet, she asks a really crucial question. She asks, what do you know of Calvary love? What do you know of Calvary love? And she says this, if I belittle those whom I am called to serve, If I talk of their weak points in contrast, perhaps with what I think as my strong points, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in a cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. She says, if, if I feel bitterly toward those who condemn me as it seems to me unjustly, 
forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more than I know nothing of Calvary love. Do you know Calvary love? Are you continuing to know Calvary love? Are you continuing to receive Calvary love? It is a fact-based love that should define then our relationships and our love toward others. The second thing that we see is that love requires sacrifice. It's pretty simple. Jesus says we are to love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Pretty simple, right? Because how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love? He, he gave up his life for us, suffered and died on the cross. It was a love that required sacrifice. Because isn't it easy to, to love those who love us? Isn't it easier to love those who think like us, who believe what we believe and who we just naturally gravitate toward or we naturally get along with? It's not the love that Jesus is talking about here. That's, that's, that is love, yes, but it's a friendship sort of love. It's a love based on interests and, and, and in some ways subjective feelings. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It's easy to love those who love us. And is that really ultimately love? <laughs> it's, it's a type of love, but it's, it's not the deeper love that Jesus is talking about here, an unconditional love, an agape love. And I, I've just observed so much in our world that we, we live in a, a tit-for-tat world, don't we? Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or, or this one, this mantra of like, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, right? And, and so much of our love toward one another can be, in the end, thinking, oh, how will, how will I benefit from this? How will this come back to bless me? But what's involved in Jesus' command here? This type of love always involves sacrifice. And, and I want to ask you, as disciples who ought to love as Jesus loved us with that sacrificial love, I want to ask you, what sacrifices might we have to make in that love? I want to open it up for just a second. What comes to mind? What sacrifices might we be called to, to give up for our love for one another? Sacrifices to make. What does that look like for us? Time, right? Yeah, maybe when you'd rather spend that time on something else or on, on yourself, yes. Giving up time for someone else, what else? Priorities, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Right, recognizing maybe a greater need that someone else might have. Prioritizing, what else? Comfort, yeah. Because like I said, my experience earlier is I'd, I'd have rather just kind of just sat and drank coffee on my own, you know? It can be uncomfortable. Ken. <laughs> Good point, wow. For ladies, childbirth is a sacrifice, isn't it? Yes, 
Just even that, just even bringing a child into the world, right? Yes, that's right. Two more. Being right. Ooh. Sometimes it's more important to show love and yield than to just be right, isn't it? Yes. And that can be a sacrifice. <laughs> Do you have anyone in mind? No, I'm just kidding. One more. Finances, money, something that we give, goods that we give, or assistance that we can give, giving up something that we'd rather maybe spend on ourselves, right? Do believe that the love Jesus calls us to here is, is a love that requires sacrifice. And that's something we're called to day in and day out. And, and it, there's a difference, I do want to clarify, there is a difference between just giving in and giving up something. Sometimes it's important for us to take care of our, I mean, it is important to take care of ourselves, but sometimes we need that personal care. We, we, we need to be replenished in our relationship with God and receiving from him and, and maybe just taking care of ourselves, right? But then comes a giving. And we can't just give, what we, give, give away what we don't have, but we, we do sacrifice we do make sacrifices. And as followers of Jesus, that's the, the command he gives, a sacrificial love. Third and finally, love is shown through action. That's how love is displayed. It's shown through action. Love is, is not something that we just have, not just something that we possess. It's something that we give away. It's not just something that we know, it's, it's something that we also show, isn't it? It's tangible, and it, it ought to be shown and demonstrated in a certain way, visible for the world to see. And, and what is it that Jesus says at the end, verse 35? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because see, this type of love that, he, that he's commanding his disciples to show is, is a different love than the world shows. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says, By this we know love, that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is shown and displayed through action. And that love stands out in this world. And I'm afraid that in many ways, what we think of as our Christian love doesn't stand out because maybe it isn't Christian love after all. But true Christian love does look different. And I've thought of some examples how our love is set apart. I don't have these on the screen, but you can write these down. 
Number one, giving without expecting anything in return. Because again, the world's way of love is that scratch your back, if you scratch mine, you know, it's back and forth, a trade-off. But the love Jesus is speaking here of here is giving without expecting anything in return. And, we, and, the, and the truth is that we, we, we do become blessed in return because we're there to bear one another's burdens. We're there to come alongside one another. And, and, and those blessings often do return to us. But that doesn't become the motivation, giving without expecting anything in return. Number two Receiving without feeling a burden to repay. Shouldn't that mark our love in the church and among Christians? Because some of us, it's harder to receive sometimes. Feeling like, oh, I, I need to give something. I remember when I was in, I just finished eighth grade, and, and in my school growing up, eighth grade graduation was a big thing. Like, we had a ceremony, and we all had an eighth grade graduation party. I don't know if they do that anymore these days or not. But um, we, would, we would get cards. We would get money uh, as gifts. And, and I remember uh, one of my classmates coming uh, to my party and gave a card and $5. And then I was invited to her party like a couple weeks later. And you know what I did? I went to my graduation money and took out a $5 bill and put it in a, in a card. And I, I'll never forget that because it was like, this is so weird, right? And isn't that kind of how we're conditioned? It's just like, well, what did they give me, you know? And that need to always feel like we have to repay. And, and there's, again, we, we need to return blessings in, in, in ways that we need to. But in Christian love, we, we should be able to receive without that Burden of feeling the need to repay. Number three, asking for and extending forgiveness when the world settles for apology. You ever thought about the difference between forgiveness and an apology? Forgiveness admits and says, I was wrong. This is how I was wrong. Stating the fact and then asking, will you forgive me? In the world, an apology is, I'm sorry you felt that way. What is that even, is that, I, that's, I think that's more hurtful, isn't it? But forgiveness, true forgiveness admits the wrong. But it also extends forgiveness, doesn't it? And that is, I think, the primary way that forgiveness among Christians stands out is that God's supernatural power is at work in it. Because how, how could we forgive in and of ourselves? We can't. Humanly speaking, we can't. But when someone asks for forgiveness and then you say those words without holding back, I forgive you. There is something supernatural. That's the supernatural power of Jesus and what he did for us, the sacrifice he made for us, the forgiveness that we experience in him that is at work in our forgiveness among each other. Number four, speak the truth in love even if it involves confrontation. Because you know what? The way of the world is to just avoid 
the issues, isn't it? Or sweep under the rug or just write a person off. But Christian love speaks the truth in love. Scripture talks about speaking the truth in love even if it involves confrontation. And that is hard, isn't it? It's hard. But that's love. To restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, as the scriptures say. As we close, I want you to reflect now just on these three aspects of love the fact of God's love for you and the idea of a sacrifice, love involving and requiring sacrifice and love being action showed toward one another. Pick one of those. Which one is the hardest for you? Which one's the hardest? Is it just understanding and believing God's love for you? There's nothing that you can earn or deserve in his love? And maybe you've, you've been resistant to it. Maybe your heart's not been open to receiving that love and it is affecting your relationships. Or is it giving something up, giving up time, giving up resources, giving up something, giving up your own comforts, whatever it might be for the sake of somebody else? Or is it just getting off your rear end and showing action? <laughs> Sometimes that action can be as simple as, you know what, I'm going to commit to praying for a person rather than just thinking about them. Pray for them. I'm going to actually say something encouraging to another person. Sometimes that might be the action. It doesn't always mean something tangible. It can. But I would venture to guess that there's one of these three areas that we struggle with, each struggle with the most. And as I ask the team to come up, I want to pray, pray for each, each one of those areas, each one of those aspects, and lead us in a prayer of response. And if you are here today and, and you have been closed off to the love of God in your own heart, just pray this simple prayer. God, I open my heart and my mind to your love. May you fill me with your unconditional love. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me with your love and your grace. And if you're here today and you're struggling with a sacrifice that maybe you're, you're called to, something that maybe you're called to give up for, for somebody else, to show love to somebody else. Pray this simple prayer. God, I give my time to you, my resources, my gifts to you. May you help me and enable me to give them up, not only to you, but for the sake of someone else in my life. And maybe you're one who's just struggling to take action. Pray this simple prayer. God, today I commit to showing love, not just speaking about it. And show me today where I need to show the action of love toward another person. God, I pray for each person here. 
I pray that you would continually fill us with your love to allow then that love, that unconditional love to flow out of us. Teach us more and more what it is to receive love from you and to show that love, God. We thank you and we praise you for all that you've done for us and we stand in awe of your presence and stand in awe of who you are. And God, we now go forth in in receiving blessing from you that is undeserved. And we also pray this prayer of blessing over one another. In Jesus' name, amen.